Worship do's and don'ts. This is going to be more about do's than don'ts, I will say that. And I want to start out uh, just sharing a little bit. This is about the third time I've shared the content of this message. Of course, each time I've shared this message, I've tweaked and changed and added to uh, as I go along. But before we begin, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you give to us to praise your name, to worship you for who you are, for how great you are. And Lord, I pray that as we look at what your word says tonight, that despite the fact that this is not anything new, perhaps, that we're learning tonight, that this would challenge our hearts with how we're doing what we already are doing and encourage our hearts uh, to do more. And we'll thank you for what you're going to share with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out with uh, talking about many instances instances in Scripture where we see mankind uh, in uh, some form or other coming face-to-face with the reality of who God is and how awesome he is. And we're going to go through uh, a lot of Scripture. You're welcome to skip through uh, the pages of your Bible if you'd like to do that. I'm going to have everything I'm referencing tonight. I think, without exception, will be on screen for you. But I wanted to really cover an awful lot of groundwork as far as Scripture is concerned. From Numbers chapter 20, verse 6. This is related to and following one of the miracles in the desert as the Israelites were traveling in the wilderness. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. You're going to see a a pattern developing here of these passages of Scripture and the response that these people coming face to face with the reality of who God is, how they physically respond. That's uh, from the Old Testament. Then from the New Testament, we're going to read from Revelation chapter 7, verse 11. Of course, this is in a time yet to come. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. This is when God was working with Abraham and talking about the covenant he wanted to make with Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face. From earlier in the New Testament, Matthew 17, verse 6, this is on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. Going back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18, verse 39. This is when the prophets of Baal were, I guess you could say, obliterated on Mount Carmel. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And one more in this particular section, First Chronicles 21.16. David saw that God was about to destroy Jerusalem in this particular passage because of what David had done. There were a few things that God had said don't do. 
One of them was taking a census, and David did that. And God, talking about the angel of the Lord coming to wipe out Jerusalem. So 1 Chronicles 21.16, Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, sackcloth, fell on their faces. One of the things I want to point out in this particular section is that there's a particular position in worship that you see in all of these cases. I could um, have listed a dozen more easily. Where when faced with the reality of who God is and uh, how awesome he is, the immediate response in every case was for people to be face down in worship before God. I think sometimes in our context, we are so used to doing church that we come in, we comfortably sit in our comfortable, cushy chairs and forget the fact that it is indeed Almighty God before whom we come to worship to begin with. And while I'm not even in any way suggesting we need to remove all the chairs so we can be face down on the on the carpet, I think that's something that I think our hearts need to be prepared with. That when we come in a context of worship, that we are truly recognizing that we as a church body tonight are gathered in the sight of God Almighty, our Creator, and should be in that attitude of worship before Him. Just last week, we heard from Abraham Thomas. And I couldn't help, as I was listening to him speak, think, boy, that sounds a lot like where I'm going next weekend. He read from Psalm 96 uh, on a number of occasions. Ascribe unto Jehovah the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship Jehovah in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. He said, Abraham did, among other things, what's true worship? True worship is both the divine And the human meeting in spirit, that means God meeting us in our soul. The result is our inmost being perhaps leaps into worship and adoration to the divine. It happens only when we worship God in truth of God's word and in holy living. There are conditions when it comes to us being able to be before God in worship. And we need to do that with a right heart attitude, prepared before God, that we can come before him. And I loved his, his illustration. The result is our inmost being leaps into worship. Anybody come to church this morning thinking about leaping into worship? I'm not sure that, quite frankly, even as I've been preparing this context, some of, some of that's been a challenge Uh, For me, I was talking with Ed just within the last couple of weeks. Ed's one of our newest ensemble team members. It's great to have another man singing on the platform. And uh, Ed and I were talking. I said, one of the things that I I said this to the elders uh, a little earlier this week as well. One of the things that I struggle with most ardently as uh, a leader of singing and worship is the distractions that invade my brain in the context of worship. And I shared with the elders, it is my prayer that the congregation doesn't see the distractedness that so often can wreak havoc on my brain as I'm trying to watch the chords and strum the right notes 
and sing the right words and those sorts of things and pray that it all comes together in a context that's going to direct people to God, not having people see me fumbling away as I'm on occasion sometimes feeling a little bit of panic. That's why we rehearse and and try to do these things. But worship is to be, we are to be in an attitude where we can be fully on our face before God. Worship do's and don'ts. What do we find in the Bible? Here's a big surprise. We are to sing. And I'm sure that you perhaps have been expecting this one coming from me. But we're going to go through a number of passages of Scripture that focus our attention in this direction as well. Psalm 717, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. If I had a nickel for every time somebody came to me and said, oh, Pastor Mike, you don't really want to hear me sing. Maybe I don't, but he does. And we have a responsibility, whether you feel skilled or not, to lay that before the feet of our God. Psalm 9, chapter 2, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Psalm 30, chapter 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. Psalm 61, verse 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. I know this may be a slight, slight out of context. I've off, I have on a, a couple of occasions used Psalm 16.1.8 in the context of a wedding. Because we have made commitments to our God, and we need to be praying daily that we would uphold those commitments to our Savior not the least of which is to be singing and expressing our joy to him. Psalm 98, verse 4, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Then from Psalm 104, verse 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Psalm 138.1, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods. Will I sing praise unto thee? Psalm 147.7, sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing upon the harp unto our God. And then one more in this section. From Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise to thee. Now, how many are surprised that the Bible tells us to sing? Okay, this isn't a newsflash to anybody. But I think in some respects, it's very easy for us because we do this on a consistent basis on Sundays, that we come in, we sit down, we sing through things. And my greatest fear as a leader of singing is that people will come in, they'll see or hear a song that they're familiar with, and it just happens. And we're not thinking about what we're singing. We're not paying a whole lot of attention to the lyrics that are up on screen. And we miss out on yet a great opportunity to lift that song as an offering of praise before God. Which, as we've just read a number of passages of Scripture, is the commands that we are given and the promises made that we 
ardently need to be singing before God. And as I recognized earlier, I don't care what your voice sounds like. You've probably heard me reference in the past, I know I've shared this with my choir, I had a, a, a pastor's wife from several churches back who came to me fairly early on when I was part of that church and said, you know, Pastor Mike, I, I have always wanted to sing as part of choir. And I've been told since I was a little girl not to because I didn't have a good enough voice. And that just breaks my heart. And I said, you, you come to rehearsal. We'll find a place for you. You know, she was not my strongest alto. She was not always 100% singing what she should have been singing. But I would rather have a choir full of people who just desperately wanted to pour their hearts out before God that I could hide in the context of a great alto section than 25 altos who could sing on pitch and memorize their music and had no heart for it at all. And I remember as I was um, just going into college years, there was a young lady that I ran across who was a phenomenal singer. And it was almost uncomfortable to be in her presence when she sang because it felt like she had more attitude and self-centeredness than any attitude of centering on God. It's uncomfortable. Let's move on. I've got to stick with my schedule, and I'm already seven minutes off. So this is where we start really rattling the cages. From Psalm chapter 32, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. What was that? Okay. Not sure I'd call that a shout, but we'll, we'll, we'll accept that. Psalm chapter 47, 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. From Isaiah chapter 42, verse 11, Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. And from Jeremiah 31, 7, For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the remnant of Israel. Now, I think based on my two years plus of having been here, that we aren't generally a congregation. You often hear shouting as part of our worship. We'll discuss that a little bit down the road. I will say this. When we had Abraham Thomas here last Sunday, who was encouraging the hallelujahs, you guys are pretty good at responding. And uh, it, was, it was a joy to my heart to hear the response, because that's not, I don't know that you've noticed this. Pastor Tim is, is not really a fire and brimstone pulpit pounding preacher. I don't know if you've noted that or not. Sometimes when you have somebody who is boisterous like Abraham Thomas, you can't help but respond in that way. So we are to shout. As part of our, that's supposed to be 
part of our response in worship to God. Okay, now we'll, we'll start having some more fun. Psalm chapter 47, 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Sounds like we read this just a couple of minutes ago. We are to clap our hands in worship to God. From Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. There's a hymnal, a hymn in our hymnal that is those words. That we are to clap our hands. We aren't really a clapping congregation. But that's something that's talked about here as part of what worship is, certainly can be. So, the next section, Psalm 149, verse 3. Let's see if you can figure out what this section really is talking about. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with a timbrel and harp. Psalm 150, verse 4, praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Okay, what's that one talking about? On, dance, thank you. I, I got to tell you, there's only one context that I've ever been in, personally, where dance was taking place as part of the worship service. I felt so comfortable in that context, I was not in any way participating as a dancer. You've got to know that first and foremost. When I was on a trip uh, to South Africa, uh, one of the black South African churches we went to uh, participate with, that morning, and I still, I can't somehow, I just, I just don't understand how they do this sort of thing, but we're singing. I, time is going, but I, I think I can manage to squeeze all this in. Um, in that particular worship context, Almost no instruments. Um, one of the churches, well, I think it was that one as well, someone out in the congregation, there was, there was not a worship leader per se, not somebody like me. Somebody in the congregation would start singing a song, whatever pitch you wanted to start on, and away we'd go. And there was a guy that was sitting at a keyboard, and he would, and some of those of you that are pianists, you'll appreciate this, would pitch the thing so he could play it in the key of C-sharp, all of them he played in C-sharp. And seamlessly, he would somehow implement some percussion from the keyboard, t perfectly timed in with the song. There, there, was, there was no service order. Uh, there wasn't a Cheryl printing out cards, so everybody knew it was going to happen. And then in this very um, unscheduled, impromptu sort of worship context, and th there were three people with microphones singing along to lead whatever the congregation decided they wanted to sing. And as we're, and it was, I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun to see these people just wholeheartedly pouring their hearts out before God. And then all of a sudden, these three singers in unison started dancing the same steps, the same time. It felt very natural in that context. Don't expect to see it here because <laughs> that's, that's just, it's not us. Um, but that is part of worship, has been part of worship in various cultures for thousands of years, and rightly so.
We touched a little bit on this at the beginning. We are to be face down. Joshua 5.14, and he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host... Uh, uh, Captain of the host of the Lord, I am uh, now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? From Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then Revelation 4:10, The four and twenty elders fall down before him, him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Uh, saying, and I don't have the saying that they read in there, but there's, they're falling on their face before, before Almighty God. And we talked about that as we began the whole segment. That's kind of um, that on our face, the premise from which we start. And, of course, we are to worship in our spirit. From John 4.24, God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then from Philippians 3, 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What does this really mean? Well, worship, and we're just going to kind of attribute some things to these various aspects of worship. Worship should come from the heart. That's, I think, where the singing comes from. I know not everybody's like me. I'm weird in that way. I have just been a singer for as long as I can remember. I remember as a, uh, a young boy, my parents, you know, shoving me up onto the platform with my sister, and we'd sing. That's just part of what we do, and I love doing it. And the songs that we sing truly should come from the heart. When it comes to uh, worship, worship can be forceful. We can shout the hallelujahs. Worship can be physical. Oh, we gotta, um, I'm, worship can be exuberant, that we clap when we worship. Worship can be physical in that we dance. Worship can be humbling, that we should be face down before our almighty God. And, of course, worship can affect our soul and our spirit. I trust that when each person comes in on a Sunday morning that they come ready and excited for whatever happens in a context of a worship service. And that when they leave this place, they're glad they've been here. They're glad that they've participated with the rest of their church family and poured out their heart before God. When does this happen? Well, this is where my challenge truly comes. Worship can happen in the context of family devotions. All of these things can happen. Singing, shouting, clapping, dancing, being face down and uh, worshiping in our spirit. It can happen in personal, personal time spent in God's word. It can happen when we are at work. Now, it may not shock you that I occasionally sing while I'm here at the office, that sort of thing. Not of, all of you have the same work context that I do, and maybe it might feel a little strange if you were burst into song in the midst of work. But there are other aspects of worship that truly you can express as part of your everyday work experience. Worship uh, can happen when we spend our leisure time. And, of course, worship can and should happen when we gather on Sundays. 
You know, and I think part of what I've gone through with this particular segment of things is that worship, when we gather on a Sunday, is the things that we talk about. Those elements can perhaps be there and should, some of those things should absolutely be there as part of our regular Sunday worship. But here's my challenge. What we do here as a church congregation on Sunday should merely be a reflection of what we are doing throughout the week all day long. If the only time you consciously think of worship is when you come on Sundays, you're missing out on great opportunities to be on your face before God, who is the only one worthy of any effort we put forth in this realm. There's 168 hours in a given week. Let's just say we, well, it would be nice if we slept eight hours a day. That's 56 hours. So that leaves us 112 hours a week that we are awake and functioning, or theoretically awake and functioning. If we're only really taking two hours out of that 112 in a seven-day period in worship of God, that's 1.79% of our time. So my challenge to you is, when you get up tomorrow morning, I want you to be thinking, yeah, you're going to do your devotional time. And that's part of, of the worship we talk of. But I want you to be thinking about how you can worship throughout your day. And I want you to challenge yourself this week. How can I be better and more exuberant, more expressive in my worship? And I'm going to ask you as we go forth and take this next segment of our service tonight to do some singing. I, I hope that perhaps some of what we have talked of tonight would truly inspire your heart to just pour it out before God. He's the one who's worthy of our worship and praise. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the means by which you have given us opportunities to worship together. We thank you for the institution of the local church that we have this opportunity as a church family to gather and to worship together, to sing together, to sing praise to you. And Lord, I pray that these songs that we're going to sing here in these next few minutes would just help us to lift our hearts before you and share the love that we have for you not only with you, but with those that are around us. That we could take this opportunity to be encouraged in our hearts as we worship together, but also to encourage one another for those around us with the singing that we present before you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise to your feet as we jump back into singing mode.